0: Let me ask you to open up your Bibles to the book of 1 Peter. 1 Peter and chapter 5. 1 Peter and chapter 5. It is an awesome privilege to be able to stand here week after week and to preach God's Word. I have much to say this morning, so I'm going to speak quickly. That means you need to listen quickly. (laughs) So we'll see how we do Uh, We are continuing to work our way verse by verse through the book of Daniel, but today rather than spending our time in the book of Daniel We are going to take a journey through our Bibles and then end in the book of Daniel And so this is something of a parenthesis in our series on Daniel But it is a parenthesis I think that is needed to help us better understand how to get the most out of that book And how to apply that book to us Well And so I want you to think of what we're doing this morning as a tour. And I am going to seek to serve you as your tour guide. And what we're going to do in these few minutes is take a tour of Babylon. In many cities, like Raleigh, for example, you can take a Segway tour, where you ride your two-wheeled Segway and see some of the sights of the city Sometimes a guide will fill you in as to the history of particular buildings or tells you about important people or events that happened over here or over there. Thankfully, this morning, you can stay right in your seats for this tour. We're going to let our fingers do the work as we just look at a few passages of Scripture to get a fuller understanding of this place called Babylon. Now you might ask, Justin, why do I need to spend time understanding a city that existed 2,000 years ago? Or, well, friend, let me be very clear. Babylon still exists, and you and I are living in it. Uh, Babylon is not just some ancient civilization where Daniel and his friends suddenly found themselves. Babylon continues to exist to this very day. And you and I as Christians are just as much exiles in Babylon as Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego. And so the tour we're going on this morning is a tour of where you and I live. Now when you walk into a museum, for example, uh, that museum will often have sections Or if you take a tour of a city, you'll often find that city is separated into different squares or boroughs that you travel through on your tour. And so our tour this morning is going to take us through three main sections of this place called Babylon. So here they are. These are our headings for you type A A personalities. Here they are. First, Babylon defined. Second, Babylon described. And third, Babylon defeated. So Babylon defined, Babylon described, Babylon defeated. And after we've finished our tour, we will come to Daniel and learn an important takeaway about how we are to live as God's people in Babylon. So first we come to Babylon defined. And what I need you to see here is that Babylon is so much bigger than, than just one ancient Middle Eastern civilization. And so our first stop is 1 Peter 5. Um, If you want to use the Pew Bibles this morning, you're welcome to. I'll give you page numbers. That might be helpful as we move pretty quickly. Uh, 1 Peter 5 is page 1017 in the Pew Bibles. And in this chapter, we have the Apostle Peter... Writing over 500 years after the fall of the ancient city of Babylon. So we are half a millennia after the ancient city of Babylon has fallen, And yet look at what he says in his final greetings in verse 13. First Peter 5:13, "She, who is at Babylon, who is likewise chosen, sends you greetings, and so does Mark my son." So, she who is at Babylon, Peter says. And it is almost certain that the she in this verse refers to the church. Uh, Peter is writing to Christians who, under the threat of persecution, have spread throughout Asia Minor. And he's telling them that the church in Babylon sends these other Christians greetings. But what is this Babylon? I mean, I, I suppose it's possible that Peter's actually writing from the ancient city of Babylon. But in Peter's day, that city was now an insignificant desert town. It, it was not a major city, maybe not even worthy of being called a, a city. And we have no evidence that Peter was ever there, uh, 50 miles south of what we would call Baghdad today. And, indeed, but much more likely is that Peter is writing from Rome. Rome. In in the mind of Peter and the believers of his day, Rome was the new Babylon. Rome was a kind of Babylon. It, It shared many of the same features as Daniel's Babylon. In other words, in the pages of the Bible, Babylon isn't just one city in the pages of history. Babylon has been many cities. Rome was a Babylon. Now look with me at Revelation 1. So this is our second stop on our tour. Revelation chapter 1. It's page 1028 in the Pew Bibles. Uh, This book of Revelation has much to say about Babylon. But before we even get to looking at any of that, I want to make sure we take note of this very first verse in the book of Revelation. So Revelation chapter 1, verse 1. And what does it say? the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show to his servants the things that must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant John. Now, does everybody see that word revelation at the beginning of the verse? Does everybody see that? In the Greek, it's the word apocalypse. And in the Greek, it's the very first word of the book, Apocalypse. This book of Revelation is an apocalypse of Jesus Christ. Okay, so what? Well, an apocalypse was a kind of literature very common in the first century in which a writer would use often strange and fantastic imagery to communicate truth. Uh, apocryphal or apocalyptic there we go apocalyptic literature was a kind of literature that used symbols to teach truth and so at the very beginning of Revelation John tells us that this book is a symbolic book and that that's how the book of Revelation is to be read you see, why does that matter it matters because Revelation talks about Babylon a lot And if you think it's constantly referring to the ancient city that Daniel was in, you're really going to be confused. And not a few Christians have been by misreading Revelation. So one of the very first Christian books I ever owned was called The Rise of Babylon by Charles Dyer. Somebody gave it to me in in my church as a a teenager. Uh, It was written in 1991. And the author of that book think about that date 1991 the author of that book looked at Saddam Hussein and Saddam Hussein's efforts to rebuild the ancient city of Babylon and the book claimed that this was a sign that revelation was being fulfilled and Jesus was getting ready to come back here was a mark of the end times Babylon is mentioned very prominently in the book of Revelation, but everybody knows Babylon is now in ruins. So, the only way, if Babylon in Revelation is literally the city of Babylon, the only way that Revelation can be fulfilled is if it is rebuilt. And here was Saddam Hussein beginning his work of rebuilding the city. Surely this meant that the end was near. And I, as an undiscerning, young, you know, didn't know any better Christian, bought into that hook, line, and and sinker. Then in 2003, the U.S. armed forces went into Iraq, and Saddam Hussein was driven from power, and we know what ended up happening to him, and the rebuilding of Babylon, which had never gotten that far, was completely stopped. Babylon was not rebuilt, and Jesus did not come back. You see, the problem with that book is that it didn't pay attention to two key passages of Scripture. Uh, The first was Jeremiah 50, 39, and 40. You don't have to go there, but in Jeremiah 50, 39, and 40, the prophet Jeremiah spoke of a day when the city of Babylon would become a desert waste inhabited by hyenas and not by people. And Jeremiah said that when that day came, that Babylon is an ancient desert waste inhabited by hyenas and not people. He said at that day, Babylon would never return again. Well, that day has come. That is what Babylon is today if you're talking about the actual ancient city. And because I believe God's word is true and because I believe God was speaking through Jeremiah, I am convinced that the ancient city of Babylon will never actually be rebuilt as the new Babylon. The other passage of scripture that that book missed was Revelation 1 verse 1. Because John tells us that this book is an apocalypse, a book of symbols, and this means that Babylon in the book of Revelation is not a literal ancient city. It is a symbol for something greater. It is a picture for something else. What is it? Babylon in the book of Revelation is the picture of any worldly city. Babylon in the Bible is the picture of the height of human accomplishment apart from God. New Testament scholar G.K. Beale who I would argue is perhaps the greatest living New Testament scholar right now, he argues that Babylon symbolizes the ungodly world system which has existed throughout the ages and will continue to exist until the end of history. Now, I'll tell you what's been helpful for me. It's been helpful for me to think about Babylon next to its opposite. For you see, the opposite of Babylon is Zion. The the opposite of Babylon is the great kingdom that Christ is building. the The kingdom that will come to completion when Jesus Christ returns. Revelation tells us that on the day that Jesus Christ returns, heaven will come to earth. And this is given to us as a picture in the end of of, of Revelation. And that picture is of Jerusalem, the heavenly city, coming to earth. Dear Christian, one way that the Bible teaches you to think about your eternal future in heaven is to think about yourself in a glorious global city. Heaven in the book of Revelation is a glorious global city. It's a city in which Jesus Christ reigns over all. It's a city beautiful and magnificent in which everything points to the majesty of God. And as God's image bearers, we will find our joy in this city. We will live each day carrying out our callings in this city, reflecting God's character and attributes in our lives in this city. This is a pure city. This is a golden city. This is a city where peace and joy and holiness reign. It's heaven. It's Zion. It's a city in the beginning. When God placed Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, this is what they were to accomplish. As Adam and Eve cultivated the garden, as they multiplied and had children, the garden would gradually expand and expand, and new technologies would come forth. Art and culture would come forth. And the first paradise, had Adam and Eve never sinned, would have been a global garden city with the glory of God at its center. And that is what Jesus is restoring us to. I cannot wait to be in this heavenly city. What does the song say? We're marching to Zion, beautiful, beautiful Zion, marching upward to Zion, the beautiful city of God. That's where we're headed in this life, dear Christians. What is Babylon? Babylon is what happens when man tries to create Zion apart from God. Babylon is what man creates when he cultivates the earth and he develops technologies and he brings forth art and culture and he does it all with rebellion in his heart. Babylon is the devil's perverse distortion of Zion. It is technology now being used for evil. It is culture that now celebrates immorality and worships celebrities rather than God. It's cities where the rich live in luxury while the poor sleep in ghettos and children go hungry. Babylon is the best that man can achieve. Skyscrapers and Wall Street and Disney World and Macy's. It's the internet and Super Walmart and art museums and huge stadiums with professional athletes. But it's also indulgence and selfishness and violence and drunkenness and gambling and sexual immorality. As talented, intelligent image bearers of God, Babylon is the best that we've been able to accomplish. And as fallen sinners, it is all saturated and even built on human wickedness and human pride. Babylon is what we live in. And it is a sight to see. But it falls so far short of Zion. Zion is the city of God. We live in Babylon. The city of man. Now... With that established, Babylon defined, let's move on in our tour to Babylon described. So we will come back to this book of Revelation in a minute. But first, there are three passages I want us to see in the Old Testament. I told you this is a speedy tour, so be ready to go quickly. First, turn to Genesis 11. Genesis 11. In the Pew Bibles, this is page 8. Genesis 11. And I want us to read verses 1 through 4. And here is what we read. Now the whole earth had one language and the same words. And as people migrated from the east, they found a plain in the land of Shinar and settled there. And they said to one another, Come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. And they had brick for stone and bitumen for mortar. And then they said, Come. Let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens and let us make a name for ourselves lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. Stop there. Now remember, Shinar was the original name for the place and after this incident, when God destroys the tower and scatters the people, it is called Babel, later Babylon. And what do we have in this passage about the beginnings of Babylon? What do we see here? Well, even though God had told Adam and Eve and later Noah and his family that they were to fill the earth and then subdue it and scatter, man joins here together to do the exact opposite of that. Rather than filling the whole earth for the glory of God's name, they choose to build a city where they can all cluster together for their own name. Indeed, they give the express purpose of not dispersing over the earth, though that's exactly what God had commanded them to do. And so the first mark of Babylon is human pride. And this pride is shown in the fact that these people wanted to build a tower with its top in the heavens. There was nothing inherently wrong with building a tower. There is nothing inherently wrong with building a skyscraper. The problem was why they built it. They built it to exalt themselves. And it is no accident that still today our world operates on a philosophy of humanism, that pride is still at the center of cities and civilization, that every part of our society seems to be about us, serving us, extolling us, existing for our glory and our name rather than God's glory and God's name. I noticed this uh, last year when my family was in Washington, D.C. You walk around the magnificent buildings, you marvel at the architecture of our nation's capital, but also notice the symbols built into the architecture. These buildings and the government and the nation that they represent are not filled with symbols honoring God and His glory and His kindness and how much He has provided, just the opposite. Uh, Following the Greeks and the Romans, our architecture is filled with symbols honoring man himself. Man's mind, man's ability, man's strength. And so also throughout the world, it is not the churches of God that are usually full. It's the stadiums where the athletes display their abilities. It's the Broadway stages where actors tell stories of the triumphs and the tragedies of man. Put simply, man has taken God from his rightful place at the center of civilization and we've put ourselves there instead. This is Babylon described. It's about us. It's no longer about him. To put it simply, we see our accomplishments as a tribute to ourselves. We do not see our accomplishments as a testament to the God whose image we bear. We look at the internet and we say, what a thing man has done. But we don't make the connection. We've done this because we have the very attributes of God in miniature. And this is a gift from his hand. No, we say, look at what we've accomplished. Turn to Isaiah 46. Isaiah 46. This is page 607 in the Pew Bibles. And here in Isaiah 46, God shows the folly of Babylon in worshiping idols. God is making clear to his people that he is the true and only God. And I want us to read verses one 1- through seven. Isaiah 46, beginning in verse 1. You'll see the word Nebo here in the very first verse. Nebuchadnezzar, his name comes from this God, Nebo. Beginning in verse 1, Bel bows down, Nebo stoops. Their idols are on beasts and livestock. These things you carry are born as burdens on weary beasts. They stoop, they bow down together. They cannot save the burden, but themselves go into captivity. Listen to me, O house of Jacob, all the remnant of the house of Israel, who have been born by me from before your birth, carried from the womb. Even to your old age, I am he, and to gray hairs I will carry you. I have made and I will bear, I will carry and I will save. To whom will you liken me and make me equal and compare me that we may be alike? Those who lavish gold from the purse and weigh out silver in the scales hire a goldsmith and he makes it into a god and then they fall down and worship. They lift it to their shoulders. They carry it. They set it in its place and it stands there. It cannot move from its place. If one cries to it, it does not answer or save him from his trouble. Throughout the generations, one mark of Babylon has been idolatry. Rather than exalting God in all that we do, human beings have tended to take created things, even things of our own invention, and to give ourselves in service and devotion to them. And certainly idolatry continues to mark our culture. All around us, we see people paying their daily homage to the almighty screen So much good that could be done gets neglected. So much potential down the drain as we stare into the television. All around us we see folks going off to their jobs and they're getting their paychecks. And to what end? Too often it's about bigger houses and nicer cars, more massive screens to sit before. Uh, The work is good. People should do work. People should work hard and receive paychecks and receive honor for the work they've done. But then where does it all go? Well, what we do with our money shows who we really serve. And in America, I think it's pretty clear who our gods are. We've worship the gods of entertainment, the gods of media. Dear friend, what idols are in your life? Are you following the pattern of the Babylonians? Are you living for material things that do not ultimately matter and will not last? Is there stuff in this world that has more of your heart than God does? When you are distressed, when you are anxious, when you are upset, who or what do you turn to for comfort? That's your God. Who do you turn to before Jesus Christ with your anxieties and distresses? Do you turn to food? do you turn to shopping do you turn to mind-numbing netflix what do you turn to in your distress we live in an idolatrous culture and it takes diligent care to keep all these things in their proper place and to keep god as god in our hearts and our lives so babylon is a land of pride babylon is a land of idolatry third turn to habakkuk one habakkuk one This is page 785 in the Pew Bibles, Habakkuk 1. If you're using your own Bible, think Nahum, Habakkuk, Zephaniah. Nahum, Habakkuk, Zephaniah. You want Habakkuk chapter 1. And as we read this, don't forget that the Babylonians are also known by another name, the Chaldeans, but it's the same people. So Habakkuk is referring here to the Babylonians, but he calls them the Chaldeans. We're going to begin Habakkuk 1 in verse 5. Before we read, are you still with me? Am I going too fast? Are we okay? Are we speeding through all right? Here we go. Habakkuk 1 verse 5. Look among the nations and see. Wonder and be astounded. For I am doing a work in your days that you would not believe if told. For behold, I am raising up the Chaldeans, that bitter and hasty nation who marched through the breadth of the earth to seize dwellings not their own. They are dreaded and fearsome. Their justice and dignity go forth from themselves. Their horses are swifter than leopards, more fierce than the evening wolves. Their horsemen press proudly on. Their horsemen come from afar. They fly like an eagle swift to devour. They all come for violence. All their faces forward. They gather Captives like sand. At kings they scoff. At rulers they laugh. They laugh at every fortress, for they pile up earth and take it. Then they sweep by like the wind and go on. Guilty men whose own might is their God. When we look at Babylon in the pages of the Bible, we see that it is marked by violence. It is marked by bloodthirstiness. This has been true of every world power that has ever existed. Before the Babylonians, it was the Egyptians and the Assyrians. After the Babylonians, it was the Greeks and the Romans. A thirst for blood, a willingness to destroy the lives of many has always marked human cultures at their might. The city of Zion, to which we are headed, is a city of peace. But the city of man, despite our best efforts to say otherwise, has always been a city of blood, a city of violence. We can think about the world wars of the last century. We can think about the brutality of the Soviet Union in its day. Unless we think that there is not blood on our hands, we should visit other countries and ask them about the hostilities that they have seen America commit in this world. Our nation was born under Christian influence, and so perhaps more than any other world power, America has sought to use her military might for good, but we have not always succeeded And as we think about the kinds of politicians that are now being raised up in our land and the nuclear arsenals that will be at their disposal, we need to be much in prayer. Because only the grace of God can prevent worse wars in our future than this nation has seen in her past. The fact is, in our rebellion against God, human beings have become a people prone to violence. As the Bible says, our feet are swift to shed blood. So Babylon is marked by pride. Babylon is marked by idolatry. Babylon is marked by violence. Finally, Babylon is marked by debauchery. Go back to Revelation, and let's look together at Revelation 14. Revelation 14. This is page 1036 in the Pew Bibles. As I mentioned earlier, Revelation has much to say about Babylon, but we only have time on our brief tour to glance at a few statements First look at Revelation 14 and verse 8. Revelation 14 and verse 8. Another angel, a second, followed saying, Fallen, fallen is Babylon the great, she who made all nations drink the wine of the passion of her sexual immorality. So here we see Babylon as a great world power who not only participates in sexual immorality herself, but leads others to do so as well. In fact, under the Babylonian Empire, the influence of Babylon spread to all the peoples they conquered, all the lands into which they took their culture, and it led those cultures into greater, more perverse forms of sexual immorality. The Roman Empire did the same. It's no accident that Peter calls Rome Babylon. As the Roman Empire became the largest empire the world had ever seen, the Roman uh, tendency towards all kinds of perverse sexual immorality spread with Roman influence into all these other lands. Today, through Hollywood especially, we cannot deny that even our own land has helped spread all kinds of sexual immorality into the world. There are many nations today where homosexuality, for example, was considered unthinkable just a few decades ago. But as uh, America embraced homosexuality, we then exported that out through the influence of Hollywood and have led many other nations to follow suit. Uh, Just flip over to Revelation 17. Revelation 17. Here we have Babylon pictured as a prostitute. That tells you something right there. And we know this woman is Babylon in Revelation 17 because in verse 5 we are told that written on her head are these words, Babylon the Great, mother of prostitutes and of earth's abominations. And in Revelation 17 this woman, Babylon, is pictured riding a terrible beast, namely Satan himself. Uh, The picture being given to us by Jesus through John is Babylon as a woman riding on the back of Satan as a beast. Clearly, by the way, this this isn't a literal picture, right? It's a symbol. The picture is clear. The city of man is not really the city of man at all. We may pat ourselves on the back for our great cities and our great accomplishments as humanity, but in reality, there is another power at work here. There is another power holding up man in his pride, holding up man in his arrogance, and it is the power of Satan himself. In our pride, in our violence, in our idolatry, in our debauchery, it is actually Satan that we are serving. The city of man, because it has been tainted by the wickedness of man, is now really the city of the devil. And notice what we read beginning in verses 1 and 2 of this chapter, Revelation 17. Revelation seventeen one. Then one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls came and said to me, "'Come, I will show you the judgment of the great prostitute who is seated on many waters, with whom the kings of the earth have committed sexual immorality.' And with the wine of whose sexual immorality the dwellers on earth have become drunk. Whatever that might mean, it clearly shows us Babylon is a place of immorality. And then look at Revelation 18 verses 2 and 3. Revelation 18 verses 2 and 3. We read this, and he called out with a mighty voice, Fallen, fallen is Babylon the Great. She has become a dwelling place for demons, a haunt for every unclean spirit, a haunt for every unclean bird, a haunt for every unclean and detestable beast. For all nations have drunk the wine of the passion of her sexual immorality, and the kings of the earth have committed immorality with her, and the merchants of the earth have grown rich from the power of her luxurious living. Mount Hermon. This is the Bible's assessment of the world in which you live. Here is the culture in which we find ourselves. Some people ask, is America Babylon? Well, my answer is that there is no single Babylon. Rather, Babylon is this world and especially the ungodly civilizations and cultures that man creates. America is a Babylon. America may even be a major Babylon in the midst of a world where there are many others. All around us, people are living in fleshly indulgence pursuing greater and greater luxury, pursuing drunkenness and gluttony, living in human pride and idolatry and violence. What is NFL football, by the way, if not a glorification of human violence? And I like the Panthers, y'all know that. But let's be honest here about what it is. Like Daniel before us, the scriptures say that we Christians are exiles in this world. Mount Hermon, this is not our home. We are children of Zion. We are citizens of Zion. But right now, we're passing through Babylon. We are exiles here. So how do children of Zion live while they're in Babylon? Well, this is where the first words of Daniel chapter 1, verse 8 are so important. Just hear them. Daniel 1, verse 8: But Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself. It's the first time we read, after we read seven verses of what's happened to Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, how they've been ripped from their homes, how they've been taken literally out of Zion into Babylon and made to live there. And we say, how are they gonna respond? And the first response that we find in the book of Daniel is this. Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself. He would be in Babylon, but he would not do as the Babylonians do. Daniel and his friends resolved to be pure in an impure culture. They resolved to do right when others were doing wrong. Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself. I simply want to ask you, dear friend this morning, are you resolved? Is it settled in your heart and mind? I would rather take a stake through the heart than commit the least sin against my God. Who has loved me so. Right now, I see a trend in American churches that concerns me. We are recovering, in some circles, from decades of legalistic fundamentalism. And as the gospel of grace is being recovered, the pendulum, in my opinion, seems to be swinging almost too far the other direction. Because now many feel that because we're being clear about salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, not on any works that we do completely based on the mercy of God, people are taking the gospel of grace and saying, therefore, we should never call our people to holiness. We should never call God's people to obedience. We should just point them to grace and grace and grace. Mount Hermon, are we not thankful for grace? Let's just be clear. We are thankful for amazing grace. But we still cannot miss the teaching of the Bible that those who have been saved by grace are to live obedient, pure, resolved lives. If God is your God and Jesus is your Savior, here is the calling that has been placed on you. Do right. Even if everybody else does wrong, you do right. You are a new creation. You are a child of the true God. You are to love what others don't love. You are to stand for truth when others call you a fool. You are to be a child of Zion and Babylon. Be in the world, but not of it. The people around you in your neighborhood won't give a flip about Jesus or church or missions or saving people from hell. The people around you are utterly blind to the things of God. They're living for material things in this material world. You don't be like that. Be different. You'd be salt. You'd be a city on a hill. Orient your life around God and God's purposes. Walk as children of light in a world of darkness. Tell the truth. Love your neighbor. Be kind to others. Put their needs before your own. You want to be subversive? Have a tender conscience. In our day, everybody's consciences are seared. Have a tender conscience. Overflow in joy and point people to Jesus. And when we fail, as we will, we run again to Jesus And we know that by trusting in him, we have forgiveness. We are not saved by living conscientious, intentionally holy lives. We can't be saved that way. We will fall again and again. We are saved by trusting in Jesus, whose death on the cross was sufficient to bring us to heaven. But Jesus died to make us holy. Jesus did not die so you would continue being the person you used to be. Jesus did not die so you would continue as a worldling, so that you would continue as a Babylonian. Jesus died to transfer you from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. He opened your eyes so that you see while others around you are blind, so that now that you can see, don't live like you're blind. Even as you're living in Babylon, practice the principles of Zion. Prepare to live in heaven by living now the way you will live then. <laughs> Remember that you have tasted a kind of joy that others in this world know nothing about. And let the love of Jesus transform you. You can see I got all mixed up in the sermon. It's already gone too long. We didn't even get to Babylon defeated. But you saw the verses. in Revelation 14 through 18, right? Fallen, fallen. Uh, To put it very simply, when Jesus comes back, there will be a great day of reckoning and the city of man will be destroyed. Our highest achievements, our greatest skyscrapers, our Disney worlds, our super Walmarts, they're all going to go away. And then will come Zion. And I assure you, you won't miss the the Disney world of the city of man because the Disney world and the city of God is going to be so much better. And so with that hope set before us, let us walk in faithfulness to Jesus Christ. I close with these words of Isaac Watts. Come, we that love the Lord, let our joys be known. Join us in a song with sweet accord and thus surround the throne. We're marching to Zion. Beautiful, beautiful Zion. We're marching upward to Zion, the beautiful city of God. Let's pray.